Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome to Mount Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus. Within us all is a unique greatness. All of us were granted divine gifts at birth, and a grand destiny lies ahead for anyone willing to follow their own inner calling. The age of the victim is finally over, and the age of heroes has dawned. The way of the hero posits that one must utilize one's individual strengths to make one's world a better place. One need not be perfect or operating from ideal circumstances either. Are not the heroes that inspire us often tragically flawed? Are their lives not in a state of flux and full of uncertainty? Does this prevent them from attempting and accomplishing great things? Of course not. Our Age of Heroes initiatives have harnessed the creative energy and focused the attention of many heroic individuals with radically diverse backgrounds and opinions over the years, directing it towards improving the collective quality of life on this planet. The Age of Heroes welcomes secular, interfaith, and interfaith participation. And as with the Argonaut expedition of old, the champions of different and sometimes warring gods are invited to partner with the champions of Olympus to face great challenges and accomplish things that would benefit the world that we all share. Tonight, I'm very honored to announce a new Age of Heroes initiative, the Arcadia Project, and I'm doubly honored to be starting with Julie O'Connor, who is... uh, Um, the prototypical uh, animal activist. She's devoted her whole life to making uh, life better for our four-legged family members. So welcome, Julie. Hi, how are you doing, Hercules? Okay, keeping busy. It's it's. Uh, I haven't gotten used to juggling two stations yet, so <laughs> my brain yeah. is like all over the place. How are you? Doing well. Actually, uh, good news. Uh, my my colleague Doreen uh, Frega is uh, has also called in. So if you had wanted, uh, she she's even um, able to to join in on the conversation now. So I don't. Do um, okay, perfect. I just wanted to maybe uh, introduce us at the same time. Doreen, okay. are you there? Right. Yes, I'm. I'm here. Hi. Oh, perfect. Hi. Okay, Doreen, you want to tell who you are? <laughs> um. So uh, this is Hercules, correct? Is, is that who oh. is on the show? That yep. is who's on the show. Welcome. Hi. Um. So I'm with um, Animal Protection League and the Bear Group, and I've been with the organization for a number of years, and I do a lot of the outreach in New Jersey. Um, we do tabling events all throughout New Jersey, north, south, east, west, and we educate the residents on coexisting with the bears, the deer, the geese, and all wildlife. So that's just wow. a brief little. <laughs> yeah, as now now you know why I really wanted Doreen on with us because she's got her ear to the ground. She talks to people uh, on a year without COVID. I mean. She's out two days a week, uh, you know, every weekend at different events and just a tremendous uh, educator of the people when it comes to wildlife. So I um, definitely am so glad to be on myself and then 
that you had her on uh, as well. So, um, but yes. So if I, I'll just uh, back up a second. Uh, so okay. I'm Julie O'Connor, and I'm on the council in Tenafly, uh, and I'm also the education director of the Animal Protection League in New Jersey. And um, I was going to talk a little bit today about deer. And then I know Doreen was going to talk about some of the other animals uh, and the other animal issues, right, that that come up locally in our state. So, um, you know, I think that's what's important to to start with, why the the episode is so timely, is, you know, there's less cars on the road and there's less pollution. And uh, people definitely, I think, are finding that they're coming across more, more wildlife and uh, you know, I I hope that people are looking at it as a positive because you know we're really fortunate to be able to live in such a beautiful setting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and in our town, it's long prioritized trees and open space preservation, and living uh, living alongside in nature is a, is definitely a source of pride for for the residents who respect it, you know. And, um, you know, I think that it's it's just a few things I'd like to let people know is it's really important to uh, maintain road safety, you know, when wildlife is more prevalent, to, like, observe the posted speed limits. I think that's real important. And uh, people should know that it's not a good idea to feed wildlife I mean, other than the bird feeders that people enjoy, um, usually whenever you're getting involved with feeding deer or feeding like raccoons or whatnot, you you have you're setting up a problem, um, you know, for the animals. They'll start getting much more used to people, and then the person who's not so animal friendly uh, won't be a very good. Uh, you know, advocate for them if they get more comfortable with people. So mm-hmm. I think it's important that people keep their distance. Uh, but I did want to talk, like I say, about deer uh, because with COVID, I have experienced that people um, will, rightfully so, people are nervous about about COVID. But what happens is they believe that deer have something to do with Lyme disease. And so I want to make sure I clear that up on your show today really definitively and clearly. So while it's true, if you actually do have Lyme disease and you get COVID, by the things I'm reading, that's definitely a a problem. You, You don't want to have Lyme disease and have COVID later because it's it's definitely can complicate matters you know we still don't know how the virus reacts in every person so you definitely don't want to have lyme disease and then have covid that Mm -hmm. would be your 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 um desire (laughs) so i you know it's definitely something to be you know aware of um but you know obviously doing the best we all can to keep our immune system up is is really important but I did want to just say that with with respect to deer, they are really not connected to Lyme disease. And I, I think what happens is that, like, there was a paper many moons ago that said, oh, you know, 
we think the deer connected to Lyme disease because of like a deer tick. And so like it got that name and then that thinking has been hard to break, even though all the subsequent science is really, um, has, has made sure that that was actually um, debunked. So I wanted to allay any fears of the members of the public that the deer are our health concern. Peer-reviewed research has absolved deer of any significant role in the transmission of Lyme disease. In one study, the public school of health, um, the Yale, the Yale Public School of Health, pardon me, reported that the rate of Lyme infection was not significantly different before or after deer were reduced from an area. So it was not not a significant difference in the transmission, whether there were deer there and then after they were removed. Um, So what are drivers of Lyme disease? Uh, The white-footed mouse and uh, an abundant acorn crop. Those are the major drivers when there are spikes in infection. I'm not sure that there's any spike in Lyme disease infection currently, but I'm just giving information. So if that's something you were worried about, you'd want to clear the acorns on your property. Um, The opossum, because I know that Doreen's going to be talking about other native New Jersey wildlife, but the opossum, which is a native New Jersey animal, they actually are referred to as like the unsung hero in the battle against Lyme because mm-hmm. they eat ticks. They eat lots of ticks every day. And as most of you, your listeners probably know, ticks are, are what they call a vector that might carry Lyme disease. Just like uh, mosquitoes would be like a vector that might carry, um, well, I guess, uh, what's that, the one that you can get? The, from a mosquito, <laughs> you know, like, malaria. Mosquito. Malaria, right? They might, exactly, but not every mosquito that bites you's got malaria, right? So, thank you. I was I couldn't remember the other word. <laughs> so, <laughs> so ticks ticks are a vector that may carry Lyme. Now, some ticks carry Lyme, but some don't. But deer don't cause ticks to carry Lyme, right? So, fox and other small predators. Foxes and when, like we said, you know, think of smaller predators that we have locally, they break the cycle of infection because they would eat the mice and some mm-hmm. mice might carry the ticks. So, and then some of those ticks might carry the Lyme. And, and like we say with those, those acorn crops that they, that they focus in on. So even our Bergen County Health Department also recognizes that there is not a link between the presence of deer and the cases of Lyme disease. So um, several recent studies, hold on a second, sorry. Okay. Several recent studies in, uh, sorry about that. Several recent studies okay. in on sites in New York and New Jersey, they did not find any correlation between deer and ticks. So um, I'd like to just let your listeners know that there's a great resource called the CARI Institute, C-A-R-Y, the CARI Institute. They have a tick project, and it's called the CARI Institute's Tick Project. And they have been one of the largest ecological programs uh, in the world 
And their tick project is testing environmental interventions that to prevent Lyme and other tick-borne diseases in our communities. And all of their stuff, of course, like we said, finds you know no correlation between deer and tick. So I'd love to have people, if they're interested in the topic and the interest in in anything to do with with Lyme, I'd love anybody to just check their resources, the Cary Institute's Tick Project. So if anyone was interested in good scientifically backed data, you know, that that would be a great resource. Harvard School of Public Health also um, and Pennsylvania Game Commission, all of them found that to be the case. Um, So basically, you know, what people, I, I just really wanted to make sure that we allayed any fears if, that people might have regarding deer and Lyme. And um, some positive, you know, things about deer is that they're so interesting. Um, they sleep in areas that feel safe and offer good cover, and they might sleep alone or they might sleep in groups. So if you're riding around or walking around, this might be what you see. Uh, there's a self-regulating species, which I think I've talked about on your show in the past, means that their numbers are dependent upon available food and habitat, right? So deer are, right, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more, is that deer are herbivores and their diet may include bark or berries or twigs or young shoots or other vegetation. So um, that's that's what they eat. That's where you'll see them. And when I talked about self-regulating species, and you got to understand they've been in New Jersey for so, so long, um, you know, the Native American times, and they really do adapt very well to their environment because being a self-regulating species if they found food or water uh, and the environment that was, you know, comfortable for them, then they will always um, have the amount of children that is necessary for comfortable survival in that area. So whenever you hear someone say a community, uh, and I know um, you know, my colleague Doreen on the line will also talk about, like, you know, whenever she's had conversations about deer hunting when it comes into a community, what you do have to realize is as a self-regulating species, the remaining deer will have multiple births, uh, like they'll give birth to, to multiple deer babies. So, like, they'll have triplets, twins and triplets the following year from a hunt to make up the difference or other deer will come in because of the vacuum that was created. So it's when you have, because that's what we mean by a self-regulating species. So when they have the, like I said, the food and the water in the area, they will always maintain the population that's optimal for them. So that's why when people bring in hunting to a community, you find out that it's done annually and they do it again and year upon year upon year. So, you know, they come in and sometimes the 
organization that wants to bring it in will say, like, oh, yeah, this will be a one-year plan or a two-year plan, and you find out that, you know, they're there year after year because that it's not, it doesn't work. It's not a solution. Uh, if, if you thought that the deer, that there were too many deer for your liking, hunting doesn't solve the, that issue. Um, so, you know, there are, if you were, if you wanted to watch your garden, for example, there are some deer resistant plants and then something that's relatively foolproof. And in most communities, you can do this in your backyard, not your front yard. If you install an eight foot high deer fence, nothing with like a spiky top, but Mm -hmm. you're talking the fabric or or some sort of that that mesh uh, wire. If it's eight feet uh, and higher, which again in the backyards that's usually not an issue in any community, and you could go to the town and ask for it to be increased uh, the height, you would then uh, be able to plant whatever you want because they they can't get over an eight foot high fence. Right. So um, and then there's there's other things you know homemade deer repellent if you if you're an avid gardener, um, then there's Irish Spring soap. If you spray it and water it, uh, you water it down in a spray bottle, and you keep respraying the plants. They don't like the smell of that. So all these fun little things you can do if you were trying to garden the things that they're most interested in. But uh, I will tell you that the deer-resistant plants they they're very nicely listed. By mm-hmm. Rutgers, uh, I will um, just send you the link in case you'd like to share it. But um, uh, but you know, I I do again want to like frame this whole thing in the sense of saying that I think these are like blessings to be able to live in an environment alongside our you know wild animal neighbors. And uh, we should look at these things as positives, you know, not. Uh, oh, definitely. You know. And um, so that that's I just wanted to make sure that as you hear things about Lyme disease, that we really try to debunk that myth. And um, and that's well, what I. Why would anybody want to perpetuate that myth? Right. I. You know, that's a good question. Um, I think it might come from a lack of understanding um, because, you know, at one time it, we had things like, oh, the, the deer tick causes Lyme disease, you know, in the 80s. And so it mm-hmm. got linked, the word deer, and, and they didn't realize just how much uh, that w- wasn't the case. The, you know, it's the deer mouse, by the way, is the one out west. Over here, the white-footed mouse in the east. But I, you know, I think that you know it was a misunderstanding, and then it was the type of thing where misunderstandings get perpetuated. So I don't really know why. I also think, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, regarding um, the USDA, uh, you right. know, which, which we're going to talk about for the geese. 
they get funding from from lethal means of dealing with animals. And in our state, New Jersey, the New Jersey Division of Fish and Wildlife also can make money. Um, well, they don't. They make money by selling hunting licenses. So that right there is uh, something that they they work toward lethal, you know, interactions with animals. Uh, so. So maybe there's a perpetuation that they do when they give these presentations, and there's other moneyed interests that that go with it. So it, really, to answer your question, is in any of these things, you always have to follow the money. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, that's the case. But right. So I'm so glad to be given the opportunity to clear it up. And um, like I say, you know, Doreen could talk to you more about even. Just when when we do outreach, you know, people are really horrified at to what lengths these people would the, the the either the hunters coming in and their organizations like the United Bow Hunters of New Jersey and these government um agencies, people are really horrified to see what danger they would even put people in to um deliver hunting, mm-hmm. you know, because it, people are like, where would you possibly hunt in, in the, the, you know, small towns in New Jersey? Well, they'll close, you know, an, a, a refuge to you. They'll close a park from you won't be yeah. able to hike there. That's what they'll do. And then, then you better not live alongside the park, you know, because you might find that you've got to worry about being in your backyard. You know, so that that's the extent that they will go to to deliver hunting for their client. But yeah, go. Uh, but Doreen, if you'd like to add anything to that. Well, I wanted to add about the deer in Saddle River, because um, they have been hunting the deer now for two years, and what's happening? They were supposed to, so to speak, the council's management program. We're supposed to kill 40 deer, which not one deer should be killed. But according to them, they were supposed to kill 40. Last year, of the first year of the hunt, which was 2018, they killed 151 deer. The second year of the hunt, which was 2019, they killed um, 102 deer. So, I mean, the amount of deer that they're killing, because the deer are coming in from other areas. They're you know, they migrate in. When there's that vacuum, when they kill off a certain amount of deer, it creates a vacuum. And then those right. deer have more of a food source. And then that is how they continue to produce more twins and triplets for hunting. And just um, as going out in the community, the Saddle River residents do not want hunting. They're a very quiet community. They keep them to themselves. And they do not want it. And they actually have an environmental committee, which on the committee are some Saddle River residents now. They kind of changed the makeup of it a little bit instead of having all hunters. And they um, unanimously wanted to put a pause on the hunt. But the, the mayor and the council, for some reason, they ignore the residents. They ignore the environmental committee 
and they just go ahead and do whatever they want. And, of course, they're going through with another hunt this year. In the meanwhile, they have not even tried any of the non-lethal methods that Julie has spoke about. They just think that it's a safety issue, which it's not, because there are more car accidents during the hunt than when the deer aren't being hunted. They're scared, and they're running into neighbors' yards to get away from the hunters. And not only it causes a whole safety issue, but the residents that do not want hunting, their neighbors could be allowing hunting. So that's where it's really unsafe. And the mayor and council have left it up to the hunting organization to approach the residents to hunt on their property. So uh, it's just, it's not right. And and can I I also? Yeah, and can I also jump in with what Doreen said? Uh, We remember in the time leading up to Saddle River's uh, diabolical plan uh, that they really were looking for excuses. And so they used the word like the car accident issue. And we, you know, conducted this idea of like this, okay, deer caused the car accident. And then when we got down to the nitty-gritty, it was nothing to do with deer. The, the road that they had the car accidents on was there's an exit from a pretty busy highway called Route 17, and they didn't have uh-huh. lighting there, and they didn't have, you know, reduced speed signs. So it's basically car I, I'm not really sure what the facts and figures were. There were any deer-related um, causes, you know, deer deer car collisions. It was that the, the places that they had any car incidents had to do with speeding because they're coming off of a highway. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they will they will not stop at lying if they want to deliver a hunt. They'll throw the Lyme disease uh, argument at you. They will throw, uh, they'd be very afraid. And, um, you know, we're, we're tired of it because the truth should matter. And uh, if if you uh, you know they go they, because they want to deliver a hunt these these uh, you know fish and wildlife and and their ilk they go uh, it's a non solution I want to in search of a problem right so they'll they'll go they'll shop it around town to town and say hey do you want us to give a presentation to you on your problem right. with deer that's like a big one. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I didn't know we had a problem. Oh, the Division of Fish and Wildlife came in, and we must have a problem. You know. And, and um, I, I, I'm sorry, ahead. Julie. I, I just wanted to jump in on that because in Highland Park right now, um, they're proposing a deer hunt, and the residents are once again against it. And so they're trying to fight it. What has happened in the meantime, Fish and Wildlife has gone to Highland Park. They have presented – their so-called solution, which is nothing but hunting, and they will not allow us, Animal Protection League, to come in and do a non-lethal deer presentation because they, in their words, they don't know about our organization, which I find very hard because we're all throughout New Jersey, and they trust Fish and Wildlife. They they, um, have been working with Fish and Wildlife. They trust them. And um, so they're giving them good information, and that's who they believe right now. So, I, I mean, it's just, you know, it's not fair that whatever their lies are, that these people are falling for it in, on the, the mayor and the councils. And most of the time we find out that there might be one person on the council 
that is um, opposes the hunt when the rest of them are for it. So, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, again, and we will never know the connection when it comes in. I can tell you in Saddle River there definitely was one council member just pushing to have it, you know, back yes. to two years ago. And we, you never really know what that connection is. Uh, it isn't It isn't just a, an innocent, like, oh, I think this is a good idea. I just, I just don't believe it because it's no. so wildly unpopular when you bring it into a community. Um, and I think I want to be clearer on something. When when I mentioned about, you know, the, the fact that they're a self-regulating species, I do want to talk just for a second about the, the compensatory rebound effect, this idea that the – Although this this scientifically backed idea is that the animal will have more babies, right? So what happens is when you do uh, kill a certain amount of deer, you actually can make the population go up more, that compensatory rebound effect. So so now you where there wasn't a quote-unquote problem or an imbalance in nature to begin with, now you came in and you really made an imbalance in nature. So now you have possibly an overpopulation, you know, because you've come in and and messed with it. So, you know, again, really important for anybody listening to be very aggressive. Um, And, look, you got to vote people out ultimately because in the story in Saddle River – this is a community that's been really heartbreaking. It's the only yeah. town in Bergen County that does this. Everybody else has, real, you know, luckily has really resisted uh, the, the, this uh, Division of Fish and Wildlife t- type of uh, sponsored killing. And um, they, they're not listening to their own people. They're not listening to their environmental commission. And it's just really heartbreaking because – you know, imagine if you live in a town where the council and the mayor ignores you completely, the, that the majority of you, it's just disgraceful. You that, that's very sad. We're spoiled here in Tenafly because uh, uh, people do listen. I mean, uh, we're very transparent and we're very open to feedback and uh, uh, anything that's received, you know, from letters to uh, emails are read aloud at the council and people are given a chance uh, to express their opinion. So uh, we're kind of spoiled that way here. Well, I'm I'm really glad you find that to, to be the case. So that's excellent. Um, and uh, let's hope it keeps up because, you know, a lot of these problems that Doreen mentions is I think um, it, as she starts to talk about geese or bears, um, we have an issue where the what the people want is not um, enacted because these are institutions that aren't answerable to anybody. But then when you find out it's like a politician who feels they're not answerable to anybody, then it's even like more, more disturbing. So, uh, but Doreen, uh, yeah, go go for it. I just wanted to add something. Um, When you were talking about how the hunts, they start, and Saddle River now has been hunting, once they start, they never stop. Because in Princeton, they were going through a similar thing, and they started hunting, 
and they've been hunting now for 32 years in Princeton. And there are more deer than they ever had. They had like a small percentage of deer and they felt that they had to, you know, do something. And the residents once again had no problem with it, but it was your mayor and councils that were saying there was a problem. And now 32 years later, and they're still hunting deer. So if hunting works, then there should not be a deer left in Princeton that they would need to continue on with a hunt. Right. And then you got to answer your, the question is, do you want uh, people who don't come from your community armed in your community? <laughs> do you want to say, hey, this is a very safe idea. Drive right up with weapons yeah. and come stake out whose houses are home and who's, yeah, who's, who's in their house and who's not in their house. And no, I have no interest in, in, in fighting that. And can, can you imagine? You know. I remember yeah, that was an issue uh, a few years back when I first uh, moved here. That was an issue that uh, various bow hunting groups wanted to uh, hunt in Bergen County, uh, despite our population, and they wanted to reduce the amount of uh, footage uh, where it was acceptable to shoot uh, near houses. And uh, uh, I think that's how I got involved uh, with you and uh, the organizations that you represent. You're absolutely right. The, uh, they reduced the safety buffer to a house uh, for their bow and arrow hunting. And I should explain that, it, you know, crossbow, I don't want people to envision something like Ivanhoe's time, you know, like it's a little, like, harmless situation. <laughs> it's a very, it's a right. very dangerous weapon. So, um, yeah, they, they again, you have to really be conscious of the corruption and that that it's definitely not for the when you reduce the safety zone around people's um, homes then that is not you are not acting in uh, on behalf of the citizens you're acting on behalf of of the special interest who wants to kill animals so that's really i mean on its face but i definitely remember us discussing that and it's, it's really upsetting so i'm very very pleased that you know, we have been able to keep it at bay in Bergen County thus far, but we have to watch it all the time. All the time, and yeah. And that, that might be a good um, segue into some of the other things we're watching. Um, Doreen, did you want to talk maybe about our bear campaign now or the Yes. Geese? So I wanted to talk about the bears, and the bears are loved by all of the residents in New Jersey. I have not gone or did one outreach where the residents didn't come up to me and tell me how much they love the bears. They show me photos of bears that, you know, just pass through their yard. Um, I'll never forget, this was such a a heart-wrenching story. When Petals was killed by that bow hunter on the second day of the bow hunt after they... um, allowed bow hunting on these beautiful, magnificent animals. There was we owned a bear personally. We lived uh, in its territory uh, in northwestern New Jersey, uh, out uh, by uh, Newfoundland uh, for a while. Yes. And uh, we were very familiar with that uh, bear. And it was well, very Maybe sad. we could just tell the listeners who pet, why Petals was called sure. that. You might just want to remind people. Yeah, he um. was a handicapped bear. He walked upright. He had one paw that was caught 
had he had gotten caught in a snare that he didn't, it was gone. And another paw was dangling. And he was surviving like that. And the residents loved seeing him. He used to pass through their yard. I had this man, a resident, who would see Petals and be in his yard every day. And he gave me his video of Petals. He was crying when he told me how he was so upset and heartbroken that they killed this beautiful handicapped bear. And the, the mentality of these hunters, I just do not understand. I mean, I go to the way station. I see that they bring in little, little babies, 20 pounds, 38 pounds, 25 and a half pounds. I remember every single bear that I saw at the way station. Last year, they brought in a beautiful cinnamon bear, a rare bear to New Jersey, and they brought this beautiful bear in. They could not even let this bear live his life naturally in the woods. I mean, there are, there are hundreds of bears that I see, and this little baby bear, 20 pounds, was brought in in the back of a super mm. car in a bucket, in a black bucket. You tell me what this hunter is going to do. He's either going to make a footstool out of this bear or he's going to give it to his child for a, a, as a stuffed teddy bear or they sell their parts. And, you know, it's just it's horrific what goes on. And when I'm doing my outreaches, I have story after story of people around New Jersey that say, oh, I saw my bear. Oh, you want to see pictures of my bear? They they categorize these bears as theirs, and I see pictures all the time. I see videos. New Jersey residents love the bears, and that's why they were so upset when Governor Murphy did not stop the bear hunt. He stopped it on state lands, but he was supposed to stop the hunt entirely. So they are so upset, and I had so many people come up to me and tell me that one of the reasons they voted for Governor Murphy was because he was going to stop the bear hunt. And now they are so broken that he has broke his promise. And, you know, it's just stories like that um, around New Jersey that I hear all the time about the bears. They're, they're so upset. They're so tired. The bear hunt has been going on since Christie instituted it back in 2010. And um, it didn't happen. There's no need for this. It's a trophy hunt. That's all it is, plain and simple, a trophy hunt. And... But we have you know, an like, action, right, that we're, we're trying this year, yeah. right? So I have um, a link, and it's a, a coalition petition. Can I give you that link? Maybe you can have sure. um, your you, audience and you send it out Okay. Do you want me to give it to you now, or should I email it to you? Or Emailing it to me would work out a lot better. Okay. Or, so, or personal um, messaging it to me. Um, and... Uh, I'll put it on my timeline, and then we also have a group that I'm building around the show because uh, this show will now be monthly and on a regularly scheduled date, so we can plan uh, uh, better and further into the future. Uh, but anything you share with me through PM or email, I will post it right away. Okay, great. So I'll do that. I'll send you the link um, for our coalition petition. And um, also, you know, for residents, they can call and they can tweet the governor and they can demand that he stop the bear hunt um, because that's all it is, is a trophy hunt. And during the pandemic, you know, there are other states that are stopping hunting. Governor Murphy has been so, 
you know, specific about safety. He kept gym clothes, gyms clothes, restaurants, indoor dining. I mean, all these different things are going on, and then yet he's going to allow hunters from other states because that's the majority of the hunters that come into New Jersey. I've seen Illinois, Vermont, um, Pennsylvania, Arizona. I've seen all outside plates that come into New Jersey to hunt our bears. So he's going to allow these hunters when if you go into a state or you're coming in from a state, you have to self-quarantine for 14 days. So now he's going to allow them to come into New Jersey and continue to hunt and drag bears through the woods. And they don't have to, most of the hunters do not come alone. They're with a group or they're with their, a couple of people or their buddies because they need help dragging these poor bears out of the woods. So, and that's another thing. When you go to the weigh station, they have to weigh the bears in after they killed the bear. They take a tube. They take a blood sample. That's going to be okay. That doesn't open it up to any kind of disease or infection with the COVID going on. That's going to be okay to still do. So, I mean, something just isn't right there. And I think that he needs to stop this bear hunt. He needs to keep his promise. So we'll be able to um, share that link, uh, and I'll I'll make sure that uh, you have each other's email addresses um, because that's something that we're doing as a coalition too. With other animal organizations in our state are are all trying to get to use um, Governor Murphy to use the executive order in that way. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know I, I get a little emotional because, you know, it's very upsetting to me, to Julie, to everyone who's involved in the movement. I think it becomes more upsetting when you actually see the bears that they bring into the way station. Um, just little cubs, little cubs that don't even have a chance at life. It's so heart-wrenching, and, um, you know, it kind of – just changes the whole aspect. Like people don't know exactly what goes on at these way stations throughout New Jersey. And, you know, that's, like I said, around when we do the outreaches, we're out there, we're handing out literature, we're, we're giving out um, information if people do see a bear, bear pooping tips, we're giving all of that information out. We do have petitions for them to sign. And um, we try to educate the residents, if, you know, especially some of these residents are moving from the city and they're moving into like areas in, in northern New Jersey that they're not familiar with seeing bears. So we try to get, get to those areas and we give out information in case these people do have an issue or they, they're just not sure what to do. And, you know, so like I said, mo- all of the people that I have come across they want Governor Murphy to stop the bear hunt completely, and they're just so disappointed that he broke his promise. So, and and um, then you know it, it's very important that we do um, make sure that he um, c- keeps the the promise to you know even if he can this year, because a lot of us really you know we want that idea of people being responsible you know for when we vote for them and responsible to the voters, I think that's kind of like the theme of the, of the evening too, you know, that politicians listen. Yeah. They they don't listen to the residents. 
um, residents feel that they're just as voiceless and helpless as our animals. You know, we're there to speak up for the bears and the geese and the deer and all the animals. And sometimes you feel like you're just as voiceless as they are because the politicians aren't listening. They say one thing and then they do something totally different. And um, I just wanted to talk also about the geese because um, okay. I'm also, when, I, when I do the outreaches, I'm also letting people know exactly what goes on in New Jersey and other states with the geese. The USDA, which is a part of Animal Wildlife Services, they come into different entities throughout New Jersey. I can speak for New Jersey. They come into different entities, and they're paid dollars to gas the geese to death. When the geese can't fly, which is during the molt period, which is usually around the end of June, like June, end of June time frame, the USDA will come in in the dead of the night, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and they will round up the geese. The geese can't fly. They have nowhere to go. They corral the geese. and Because they're in that molting time. They're, they're, they're right. flightless during they're that time. Yeah. And they, they lost their flight feathers. And so they corral them, and they actually push them into gas chambers, and they gas them. And the geese suffocate, and they die a horrific death, and it takes 15 minutes before they die. We have gone to different entities. We are out there now a lot more than we ever were, trying to educate the residents about what happens with the geese. Um, there are so many non-lethal methods that can be used to deter geese because ultimately we want to get them in the flyway and we want them out of these towns. And, you know, that is just a horrific thing. And, I, and when I tell people the story about the USDA, horrible, they, they just yeah. can't believe it. They can't believe, like, something that, of that would go on. They had no idea that that's what they do to the geese in New Jersey. It, it's, it's horrific. And... You know, we have witnessed it. Um, we, we've been fighting for the geese, uh, different campaigns. We've won some of the campaigns. And, um, you know, there's a lot of information that we do send these different entities, and they have adopted some of the nonlethal methods. Like Edgewater is a perfect example. They changed their habitat. They installed lasers. Um, they're using a great device called Away With Geese, and that is a fantastic device to deter the geese. And they have um, like a, a, a poop machine, to, because that was one of the complaints with residents that the geese, you know, with their poop or whatever. There's organizations called Duty Calls. Um, so there's just so much out there. There's a wealth of information for the geese to deter them non-lethally. And a lot of these entities are starting to realize that and they're starting to implement a lot of the non-lethal. But I just needed to get it out about the USDA because they're a horrific organization. They not only gas the geese, they do all other species of birds. They, they gas deer. They do the foxes. They chipmunks, um, any, any beavers, any animal that's in their way at the time of them coming in, they will also gas them to death or even kill them with shotguns. Yeah, and I I want to just, bringing this back to local, um, you know, uh, she mentioned uh, Edgewater, but I will tell you that a good decade ago, 
this very thing happened in the Bergen County Parks. And um, thank goodness there was a woman hiking in the wee hours in the morning, around 4 or 5 in the morning, and she saw this. They make no announcements. They don't post any signs. Just the next morning you find out all the geese are gone, and you think maybe they got away. They flew away. You don't know. But they came there. They do this, you know, when no one's around. And she, you know, took pictures. She reported back. It got to me. We found out what had happened. Uh, that and it was such such a brouhaha, and um, we had protests at the freeholders uh, who are going to be called commissioners. Uh, the freeholders made a rule that th- this could never be done on our county parks again. This was you know one parks director at the time had signed off on this, and uh, it was uh, the USDA had come and offered their services and. It really was the type of thing where people were tripping all over themselves to distance themselves from this uh, decision as fast as they could uh, because it was horrible. I mean, it was met with such rage by the people that the geese were killed in such a cruel manner for no reason, uh, just because he didn't like the poop and would do the other things. Uh, So luckily that was an opportunity for us to talk to politicians who never even knew that it was that it was to be done. And, uh, you know, so that was, that was an example of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, we have to be really vigilant. And, um, and, and again, you know, I keep going back to the one theme where like Doreen mentioned the habitat changes that you do in a community would reduce the geese from coming there or like the habitat changes you would do uh, mm-hmm. in your backyard might reduce deer uh, coming there. And then if you put your garbage in a in a bear-proof can, then that will reduce bear coming onto your property if you live in those communities. It's, it's not training the animals to do something different. It's training the people to do something different. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is, you know. And if exactly. you want to live in a community that has trees and has animals, great and and adjust your behavior if you don't cross the bridge because there's a concrete jungle there waiting for you you know i i don't have any patience for this idea that you're going to come to a community and make it free of of all uh wildlife (laughs) why move there Especially uh, since the the measures that are being taken uh, perpetuate the problem rather than, uh, you know, fixing it. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our journey, and I'd like you guys to uh, uh, share your contact information and uh, also um, to, again, uh, state my commitment. I know it's taken a long time for things to happen, but they have been inching along and they're happening. Um, and uh, I would like to participate uh, as they have in the past personally and let people know about uh, these uh, issues and what actions are being taken uh, as they have in the past. But this way, with a a uh, once-a-month get-together on the the radio, uh, we can make better plans and then follow up from month to month. So I'm really looking forward to uh, 
uh, that happening. And Julie, you're awesome. You're like the exemplar of uh, animal activism. And Doreen, I learned a lot from you, and I love your enthusiasm. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to working with both of you. Yeah, I mean, Doreen yeah. puts her money where her mouth is. The yes, amount does. of time she spends doing the outreach is just remarkable. Um, so uh, I I personally am in the process of getting an APLNJ email handle. So I don't know okay. if maybe Doreen wants to share her LOHV one. Uh, would you? Oh, we could I, also I, go ahead, Doreen. I my um, APL um, email. Oh, you have an APL? Oh, perfect. Okay, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Do you want me to give that out now? Yeah, sure. Okay, so it's Doreen, D-O-R-E-E-N dot F-R-E-G-A at A-P-L-N-J dot org. Awesome. And uh, if you PM it to me or email it to me, I'll, I'll post it. And, and I then I, I know to... that she had to send you uh, the other information yeah. too, right? right. They, uh, about the bear I group. The, I have the coalition online petition I'd like to send to you. And I also want to send to you, um, we, we would like to ask residents that they could write letters to their federal congressional representatives and ask them to abolish the wildlife service program within the USDA. So I'll, I would send that information to you at, at also. This is to help the geese and all of the animals that they round up and death to death. And Doreen, are you active on Facebook? Um, I have a Facebook, my own Facebook, but I hardly ever use it. I'm not one of those okay. that get involved. But I do go on our APL Facebook and our League of Humane Voters and our Bear Facebook. So I, you know, I okay, do post awesome. a lot of my outreaches and things on there. Yeah, her outreach is almost always listed on our APLNJ. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we have, um, like I said, during the whole COVID, it was really hard. We got canceled on a lot of our big outreaches. I've been trying to do little ones at the park where you can have just X amount of people. So I've been trying to squeeze those in, you know, here and there when I do get approval. So, but otherwise, um, last year we did 70 outreaches, and the year before we did 85. So, you know, we do a lot of them throughout the whole year. Oh, wow. Uh, well, wow. <laughs> what else can I say? That is very uh, impressive. Um, I've been visiting your sites, and I took some information off of a couple of them and shared it in the groups. And that's something I'll make into a, like, three or four times a week practice uh, from uh, this point on. Uh, so the information will get out there, and um, I will, you know, basically uh, uh, make sure that uh, the message gets out to the best of my ability. And um, Julie has your email address, correct? Yes. Okay. Right. I just uh, sent you both an email so you have each other, so. Awesome. Okay. Thank but you. thank you again, Hercules. And I, I know yeah, I told you Doreen you. would be a great guest. So. <laughs> and you were right. She was an awesome guest. <laughs> and I learned a lot. There was so much that I learned, and there's so much to do. And uh, before yeah, we. So much. Go ahead. 
Uh, no, I'm just saying there's so much more and there's so much and people can get involved. They can become volunteers. Um, they can help right. us. We do banner protests. We do protesting. Call your uh, congressman, write letters. So there's just like so much that people can do to help us. And even during the COVID, when you can't go to a demonstration, like you said, you can call up your representatives and let them know how you feel about things. And if they get into right. phone calls, it will... Uh, encourage them to act in a way that'll make people happy. And letters to the editors. You can always do letters to the editors. That's a great way to keep the animals in the public eye. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to ask both of you. Um, I'm coming up with like a format to put in my groups of easy steps that people can take. So you mentioned all of them. Uh, I'm putting together a list. I will send you both a copy of the list, and if you have any suggestions for making it more effective, I would welcome them. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you're very you so welcome. Much. Thank, thank you, you, Julie. So you were great. Yay, thank you. It was always, always informative. Thanks. And next Thanks. time uh, we communicate will be by uh, email or PM, and we'll set a date, and then we'll you know, basically promote it and let people know that we're here every month, same day, same time, same station. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. Be well. You great. too. Bye. And thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Bye-bye. Julie. You were great. Bye. You too. Bye. That was the Arcadia Project, the first uh, – a lead-in episode to a regularly scheduled uh, program, which emerges from the Age of Heroes, of course. Um, we're going to take a short break now, and then we will be back with more Age of Heroes goodness.
um, so people have an opportunity to, to experience this in their own community. And some people seem to have been um, uh, related to the people in the posters, you know, because uh, um, they were sitting on benches in front of certain uh, posters and, you know, looking very uh, sad. Uh, so that was my assumption. You, you know, you are correct. It's, um, so, so yes, it's, it's, you know, thank you town of Tenafly for um, allowing the black poster project to be set up in the park so people could walk through and see it. And uh, the thing is, is that uh, some what's beautiful about what's happening within the black poster project is a, it's a couple of things. First of all, we're starting to get some momentum. You know, they're starting to be like people are like, oh, the Black Poster Project. And, and, they, and they, they are starting to show up to see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so like the very first one we had in Hallworth, there was just a couple of people. And there's, there's, but it just really seems to be growing and more people come to see it. And what's interesting is that so many people just are like walking by the street and said, what is this? And and they're like, oh, look, I gotta go get, I gotta go get my family. I want them to come back and see this, you know. And and where are you gonna be next time? And because they get an opportunity to have the awareness, which we don't have the ability to see collectively the numbers of lives that have been lost, just like you said, substance abuse, and and primarily overdose deaths. We hear about them. Like, you know, like, you know, especially, we only hear about them uh, just occasionally in our community, you know, mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily get a chance to see it in the, in, in the, in the, the numbers of the devastation that, that has happened to our young people within Bergen County and beyond. So, I mean, the numbers are way bigger than 181, but, but it's, you know, it's, it gives people a chance to see the, you, you know, I had no, you know, and just to really, really feel into it and to look into their eyes and to see these young, vibrant people and with their storyboards that are on each and every one of their posters, like says something about them and, uh, you know, it gives a description. And um, so that's, that's very riveting. But the other thing is really interesting too, is that, there are, you know, a lot of the parents that have lost their loved ones, their kids to addiction, um, are are coming too. They're 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 like coming to the events. So it gives us a chance to grow in numbers even more in our organization because they have a place to go now, and they're very happy that their their child is in something bigger and grander, that it wasn't all for nothing, you know, because they don't have a chance to speak about it or express it and. And now there's an opportunity to do so. And you know what? If I could interject, too, I can say that um, my nephew is one of the posters, Hercules. And um, mm-hmm. I also think it really brings to light. It's an honoring of, of these young lives, too, you know. And as much as it's a place for the parents, it's so I have to tell you, I have had so many spiritual moments during these black poster projects that it is mind-blowing. And I've met so many people in Tenafly alone, which was really interesting, that didn't have a child lost, that were just walking by, that did just want to walk through, that were mm-hmm. crying and out of gratitude in some ways, that 
I yeah. felt a little bit uneducated, so asked a lot of questions when they stopped me. But at the same time, they felt um, like, how did I get so lucky? You know, yeah. about why why all these young people, and I have four teenagers at home, and I'm my kids are okay kind of thing. So then you get to go further into explaining the disease of addiction, right, and letting mm-hmm. them know all about that process and 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 how how blessed they truly are. You know, I watched a woman who lived in those, I guess it's like a senior community or that housing area right there, uh-huh. and walk through with her walker. Oh, my God. She was crying hysterical, this older lady. And I thought to myself, it is that powerful. Like, you don't, you seeing it on Facebook, it, it explains what it is. But when you're in it, there's an energy, there's a spirit, there's a, I think all those young people are there. I just think they're there. They're present. And it is mind-blowing. And the um, alumni in recovery, uh gives that message on a lot of different levels, uh, not only with the Black Poster uh, Project, but also you bring kids who've almost been Black Posters and also the um, mm-hmm. family members uh, of, of kids who are, and you make it very real uh, because, as you said, it's an abstraction to think about a social problem for most uh, people. You know, they might uh, hear about it or might, uh, you know, touch them, but it's something distant. You bring it very close and make it personal, uh, and it, it touches someone's heart or someone's soul uh, profoundly and really makes you uh, appreciate the preciousness of life. Mm-hmm. You're up. Absolutely. Yeah, you're up. Well said. Correct. Uh, you know, and the, the, what's interesting is see the the young people do share their stories and speak, and we you know we're in a situation right now where we just can't do that. We can't gather to hear speakers and presenters right now because it's just not appropriate. So mm-hmm. that that piece of our program isn't necessarily happening right now. But like you were just saying, there's, there's many different levels to our organization. And what's interesting is there's many different levels within this disease process. You know, it's a mental, spiritual, physical disease process. It hits mm-hmm. it on all levels. And, and it's something that you have to recover on on all levels. So, so we have different facets, but it seems somehow that all those facets kind of pull it together. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the, to have, it's, it's a most incredible combination to have the, uh, a grieving parent speak, you know, their kid's story and, you know, the, the effect on the family and them, right, alongside a young recovering person sharing their mm-hmm. story. And nobody can tell about the disease of addiction better than somebody that's in recovery, the face of recovery right. can do that. You're very powerful. Very, very powerful. So, so you know, what's really, really in, encouraging right now, we just, um, you know, we keep track of our members because we're growing as an organization. And our membership is, is over 120 right now. Wow. But, you know, we have all these new parents that are getting involved 
And, and we even, like, have the junior volunteers, the school students, you know, that are volunteering. Um, and they're not people that we keep on our contact list, but we, we do incorporate them. But uh-huh. we try, you know, Kathy and I are both in the same realm with, with how, we, how we operate. And, you know, we're both women in long-term recovery. We both have, like, over 30 years of being sober. And we also, we like to network. We like to be able to pull people together, you know, with, you know, with a good energy, with a good energy. So we have been trying, in alumni and recovery, we do have the, you know, we empower the recovering community, the young recovering community, and the grieving community to share their stories, just like Rich did on your show one time. He was one of the Mm -hmm. parent members, you know, but we also have all sorts of people on the outskirts that we can pull into and give them a role because this disease process renders you powerless. And we have to accept the powerlessness of the disease, although there's actions we can take in solutions. And it's so important that we do it together because that's what we do in recovery is it's a we program. Each and every step within the 12 steps of AA and NA start with the Mm -hmm. word we. There is no I. So it follows the twelve-step uh, model, then? No, it, we don't. We don't follow the twelve-step model. Um, although it, our recovering members, most of them, have followed a twelve. They've recovered through a twelve-step model. Understood. And okay. Although what we do do is that people, you know, I being in recovery, Kathy being in recovery. We do know that alumni and recovery streamlines with a primary purpose, kind of like we do in recovery. We we keep it to we keep it to addiction. We don't sideline through to something different. We want mm-hmm. to keep it, you know, clear and concise. We need to educate and inform about addiction. Focuses. We really, you know, we're not going to, um, you know, uh, to, you know, I mean. Let's face it, addiction encompasses mental health, I mean, all sorts of mental illness, as well as suicide. You know, those, yeah. those things come under, come, you know, it, it's all, in, all entwined. But, 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 you know, but we don't, we don't invite in people to, we, we, we keep it to the grieving community and the recovery community to do the speaking of the stories, just to empower those groups. So we try to keep it you know, streamlining that. We, we, we try not to, like, we, I won't, we won't go out of the box and say, oh, well, this person, is, you know, his child is alive, and they can, you know, like if somebody from, you know, that's, that's a parent that has a struggle, struggling situation right now or something. That's mm-hmm. not what, you know, that's just not what we do. And we don't, like, invite somebody to talk about their child's bipolar you know, disorder, which is valuable, but that's a different program. You know, we, right. that's not us. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, you have a very clear mission, and uh, your focus on it has made it more and more effective. So uh, there's a lot to be said for that, uh, um, you know, that you're following. Well, and when you said it was based on 12-step program, that little piece is kind of based as far as I am concerned. On okay. A bit of t- what I've learned from twelve-step programs is that you stick to the one subject matter, 
You know, that's what we're here for. You know, that's mm-hmm. what, that's our common bond. Now, I learned about you through uh, your coming in, outreaching into my community, which is uh, Tenafly, uh, and through my involvement with uh, the uh, Stigma Free. Um, and uh, so I got to see you guys in action, and that impressed me very much. You know, the, the fact that you reached out on a community level, you partnered with a, um, a, a local group that uh, um, focuses on that uh, particular situation in the community, and you made something happen relatively quickly. Um, and uh, um, so have you reached out to other associations in uh, Tenafly, like the Rotary or um, uh, the libraries? Kathy, you want to? Kathy was uh, the person. Yeah, that was, you know um, what? I yeah, I do want. I would like because here I think that the stigma-free idea. First, I think that was a great meeting. By the way, you guys were all so receptive, and um, it, and I really felt heard. I thought that was a, a great meeting. I think that on um, the the stigma-free issue, and I think that the reason that that's an area that we do go to, um, most likely, well, at least the way I feel about it is that. Um, addiction is a stigma. People have a stigma, a yeah. built-in um, stigma about someone that's a heroin user, right, or that uses opioids or drugs. And, you know, to us, that's a stigma. So that's why it's so important to reach out to a community that understands that. They're, you know, I know that it's very mental health-based, and, uh, and like Nancy just said, addiction is related to mental health issues as well. I'm sure of it. But we really feel like the whole process for alumni and recovery, which I have to say the reason I got involved so I can just start there is by okay. saying that I thought Nancy's focus um, with this alumni and recovery program was on point. It was her purpose was to educate the youth in, uh, you know, in, in schools and in other kind of, you know, um, assemblies, things of that nature and, and have these other young people in recovery speak to them to, you know what, if we could save one child from not taking that path before you're on it, because when you're on it, it's a very difficult path to get off. But if we could grab you before you're on the path, then we've got a chance. So I think, and I'm a firm believer in that. I don't know. Listen, I, I'm 30 years in sobriety. I don't know what could have happened to me. But if somebody mm-hmm. maybe at the age of 15 or 14 said to me, Kathy, you could be a superstar. You know what I mean? If somebody <laughs> lifted me up, encouraged me, and told me that I could be anything I wanted to be, I might not have gone down the road I went. And I think if somebody had said to me, look at where my life went. This is what I did. I, 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 I struggled with addiction. This is where my life went. I might have sat there going, oh, my God, you know, but I don't know because I didn't have alumni in recovery in my life. But these kids do. And I think that's right. the push for this program. And I think if it answers that question, I think stigma free is let's end the stigma of addiction and stop penalizing. And listen, I have a nephew who overdosed and died. He's one of those posters. I watched that child try to recover and be thrown into um, not being able to get a job, not being able to be a productive member of society because of a mistake he made. And I listen, because of an addiction, he didn't steal or rob or get arrested that way, but he did get arrested with drugs. So now we're a felon, right? And now a felony hangs over this young man's head who can never 
vote. He can, uh, he, if a background, unless it's a Walmart or another company that doesn't, you know, frown on addiction, uh, there's not very many people that will hire him. And when you're 18 to 23, and if I'm talking too much, please tell me. <laughs> I'm on a roll. No, um, no, no. When you're 18, right, when you're 18 to 23, you're just finding yourself. You're trying to figure it all out. You don't even know what you want to be when you grow up. And now you don't even have the opportunity to have that, even if you're sober. It's another added piece. So I just think that's a huge uh, contributing factor to the stigma part of it and how we need to end, you know, shunning these children, shunning these older people, shunning anybody that's addicted, and just embrace them and say, listen, you can do this. This doesn't have to be the life that you live, you know. So that's how I feel about that. Well, you feel very powerfully about it, and you're very eloquent and powerful in communicating it. And you're also a role model because uh, you got out of that uh, situation and moved forward with your uh, life, and uh, you're helping other people through your profession and through your involvement with alumni and recovery. So, you know, you're an excellent exemplar, an excellent role model. Thank you. So... So to just go back to what you were saying about uh, reaching out to town. Mm-hmm. So we reached, I, I was the culprit. I um, was driving to Tenafly and I said, wait a minute, there's, there's the Borough Hall. You know, let me just wing in there and see if the mayor is in, you know, and seriously. And I brought my brochure and I brought my card and, um, and sure enough, the mayor was in that day. So I sat and waited for him to get off his call, and he came out and he talked to me for a minute. I gave him some information, and that's kind of how it started beginning because he handed it off to somebody in Stigma Free. And so so basically when we have approached towns, every time we've approached a town, it's kind of started with the mayor and somebody from the Stigma Free Committee starts, you know, pulling in, sometimes council mm-hmm. people pull in, and that they can help us create a community-based event. Now, the community consists of many different layers. There's police, there's fire, there's EMTs, there's school people, there's um, mm-hmm. the Rotary. Like you said, there's so many different groups within the town. So, you know, I mean, this, like I said before, this disease does not discriminate, and it's going to no. take all of us. Turn it around, and each and every one mm-hmm. of us, somewhere, some way, has been affected somehow by the disease of addiction. You know, whether we're not really clear on that picture or not, we have been. So, the community-based event starts with the the hub of the town, you know, and we move out from there. Because if we don't get permission from the the people that run the town, then you know, because it's great to hear from the mayor. It's great to hear mm-hmm. from your town. Your police, you know, and so to have them at these community-based events, you know, alongside the treatment resources, like I said, and somebody providing food, you know, it's, you know, because you can bring in a restaurant here, you know, say, hey, will you donate food for this event tonight? You know, this is what we do. This is how come we do it. And you're part of the community. And they donate. They put a little card up saying that we support, you know. And, and that's how it works. I mean, I really believe that this is the solution in every community around the mm-hmm. nation. You know, we just mm-hmm. don't have the same kind of communities we used to have when we were growing up. 
I'm pretty no. Hercules. I think he's younger than me. I'm sorry, I do, but I don't know that much. I'm in, I'm in my sixties. Oh my goodness, you're older. You look so young. You look so young. You're so fair. Thank you. Okay. So anyway, I can't believe you just because you're just the power of positivity. It just exudes out of you. So, well, so you. the you both well, true. The community-based events are kind of taking the place of what used to be community. You know, I mean, that's what it can become. So, if you, if you know what I'm saying, we don't we don't have mm-hmm. the same social support we used to. People all are pocketed into little tiny sections. You know, and mm-hmm. you know we don't have neighborhood play. We don't have a lot. You know, the church just doesn't have the same community base it used to have. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's you know that. So it's people got too caught up with social media and internet and you know and in their own little bunkers you know so so it's a way to pull people together and get face to face and identify with each other. Yes, it, and it, it, it also educates them. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, in and, a very effective way, even beyond words. Right. <laughs> educates you it really touches you deep down in the gut and 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 you realize things and that's the the most profound and best way uh, to educate and that's how we do it on the the school-based level which is our you know which is the how where we started this program so we can do it an identification factor on a school-based level like a peer-to-peer approach but then we can take it outside and bring it into the community like I said, with a parent, you know, uh, you know, somebody like a peer-to-peer identification adult, and our young people are our young adults. By them telling their stories, they change the perceptions uh, and attitudes of others because it's like, oh, that, oh, wait a minute, that that I feel that way sometimes, mm-hmm. and I can certainly to that, and oh, that happened to my sister, and that was really mm-hmm. hard one, you know. So people become their emotions like kind of slow a little and 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 they're not so hardened to say you're completely different than me so I have nothing to do with you and I don't even have to even pay mm-hmm. any attention to you because I'm already prejudging you because that's what I do you know when, until mm-hmm. somebody talks and tells their story and then I just say wow we have so much in common that I never would have known if they didn't I didn't listen to their story so that that I believe that's how AA was started, you know, um, you know, uh, Dr. Bob Smith and, and, and uh, Bill Wilson, you know, began to talk to each other and tell stories to each other on an alcoholic to alcoholic basis. And then they had to go find others to help. So they went to some hospitals and started talking to people. Some people came to them and they kind of like did like, just kind of like intervention, you know, but, but that's how it grew and started because they were telling their stories. And so I really do believe we need to get it out in the public level now, you know, because I think we're all been affected somehow. And But we need to be, like Kathy said, it's about educating. It's about informing. Mm-hmm. You know, and through the story, it can get started. And stories right now are, are something that more and more people are becoming aware of. Uh, the news calls it the narratives, but they're basically stories. And uh, depending on which stories uh, people are heeding, their experience of life is radically uh, different. So the power of stories cannot be underestimated. So you're using a very powerful, um, ancient 
uh, human tool to communicate. Right. Now, Kathy? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Hercules. I, I see that um, I was looking at your websites and you put out a call for volunteers. So how can people volunteer and get involved, uh, um, I guess, in person and by distance? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. Well, they're mm-hmm. free to they, they're free to email info at alumniinrecovery.org, and that's one way. They're free to just go on our Facebook page and message us that way, uh, it, you know, which we will receive and get back to them. They're also able to go on our website and, um, well, I mean, they can they, they, pretty much just email or go message us on the Facebook page, and, and that, will, that will start the process. And, but they, they can get involved just by showing up. You know, I mean, we're going to have these, um, again, we're not doing any speaking presentations, although school's starting up, and they, I know that our director of student programs is um, going to begin getting that facilitated. But back to people volunteering. They can um, and get involved. The Black Poster Project will be displayed again. You can see the schedule on our Facebook or on our website, mm-hmm. which is www.alumniinrecovery.org. But the uh, schedule of the Black Poster Project is, is you can come and meet us. I mean, Kathy's there half the time, and I'm there all, all the time. You know, Kathy's got a full-time job, so she's got to go to work. And, you know, but, I mean, I am there uh, at all of them, Dee Gillen's at all of them, you know, uh, a lot of our members are at them, a lot of parent members and a lot of young people and recovery members. So that's a, a great way to come meet us, talk to us, and let us know that you want to get involved. And plus, you'd be showing up. And just showing up is so important. Can't emphasize that enough. Kathy, you want to add to that? I do. Um, I want to. Um, I I will say that um, you once you get there, you're hooked. You just want to be a part of it because you just feel it's something so much bigger. Um, and I also think that um, you know we can't get enough people involved. And I don't think I, I want to make it clear that you don't have to be in recovery to be a part of it. You know, or even a grieving parent. It could be just anyone that feels that they want to be of service and do something uh, to help their community. And this is something really, it's fantastic. And it's so powerful and so important that I think that uh, anybody can show up. Anybody. We welcome all. And I can vouch for the fact that it's uh, very compelling. Uh, I've been in the human services for like three and a half decades in my professional life when I was younger. And uh, uh, what you presented was extremely powerful and effective. So uh, you caught me, too, and (laughs) that's why I'm trying to do whatever I can. But uh, it's a very impressive uh, program put together, and it has uh, the ability to transform lives. And uh, it's an awesome thing, and uh, um, as much attention should be placed on it as uh, possibly can be. Uh, You you also created products to help uh, raise uh, money. Um, I saw that you had a full line of uh, creative things uh, that uh, people can purchase and wear, and that spreads the message too. Yeah, 
thank you for noticing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very happy that you even saw the um, the post. We had a postcard on our table, but there is information. We have a um, a it's called a store. You know, we have an alumni and recovery store online uh, until the end of September. Um, and and if you if if people start purchasing, it will stay open longer. It's just um, you know there has not been enough. Um, you know, uh, people going to, uh, I think the times have been really tough. And I don't think a lot of people, maybe people are just getting inundated with emails and, um, you know, and we, we have, we don't have a lot of opportunity to, um, to advertise for it, except for like our Facebook page, but it's on our Facebook page, um, the store information, as well as our, our website again, which is an alum, it's alumni and recovery.org. And and if you're interested, there is there's um, great tie dye sweatshirts with you know angel wings on them because it's it's one of our logos, and um, mm-hmm. you know like stains like recover our world on a nice t-shirts too. There's some some nice boutique t-shirts um, that are you know not so like your typical you know uh, standard um, t-shirt and um, just some nice products. There's masks. We have a lot of masks online, and um, we'll we'll be selling. We're having a concert. We're having mm-hmm. a con- we are having a concert. Hercules. Yes, we are. Hercules, you got to come to the concert. It's a. <laughs> it's I, I will be certainly a- do my best to come there. When is it? Okay, so here's the deal. It's at Tallman Pool Club on in Tallman State Park, and okay. it's, it's going to be during the day, because the nighttime concerts, uh, you know, because of the COVID restrictions, right. um. It's in New York State. New York State um, has now, you know, canceled any evening uh, band concert events. So we are moving it to the daytime, and we just got to get it approved completely. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen because we have it in the works, and and it's going to. It's September twelfth, and um, it'll. We're not really quite sure. Time to be determined right now. It might be like one o'clock. Not sure. Uh-huh. It'll be so much fun because it's a it's a beautiful location. It's on the Hudson. There'll be some good tunes like from a, a Grateful Dead cover band. Grateful Dead and, cover uh, band. Yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then awesome. um, and another band, and um, you know the the people that are sponsoring it are these young guys that are from our alumni recovery program that that also run a rehab. They run a rehab called North Jersey Recovery Center in Fairlawn. So they're our sponsors, and they'll do some speaking and emceeing along with this this woman that's one of our members that's you know going to emcee it. She's gonna she's gonna just rock it. She's like a, she's great. Her name's Holly. And then we have um, Billy Presida from Presida Funding, who basically opened the pool area up there. It's a beautiful pool area, and he opened it a few years ago. And well, anyways, his his um, company is going to be the other sponsor, and he plays music. He actually uh, plays music too. So I think it's going to be uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have merchandise for sale there. Um, we're going to you know you can get food there, um, and and there's plenty of room to move around, you know, and, and have lots of space. It's a, it's going to be a great day, that's for sure. 
It sounds wonderful, and if I can uh, make it up there, I most certainly will. Uh, if not, it will definitely help you promote it and spread the word about it, and we'll do a special on it and uh, you know, try to get the word oh, out cool. there as far and wide as uh, we can. Um, one of the things I thought of um, uh, after experiencing uh, your project uh, was this would make a, a very powerful book, too. Uh, has any thought been given uh, to pu- putting together the posters in, mm-hmm. like, a book with some of the stories or all of the stories. Wow. That's really cool, Hercules. We'll have to talk to Dee Gillen about that. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I I like that. That's that's mm-hmm. cool, Hercules. That's really cool. Well thank you. <laughs> so yes, we do have a we have a book coming now now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, what a great idea. <laughs> And the proceeds can go to D. Gillen. This is great. What a great idea. That's oh a fantastic gosh. idea. Yeah, because this black poster project is growing and growing and yeah. growing. And, and you know, uh, I'm not quite sure where she's going with it yet, you know, but but um, it's really cool because, um, and we've touched upon, you know, this, has a, um, this has a force of its own. And and we just kind of like follow the breadcrumbs of it and just follow the movement of it. And it just kind of grows and, and it just unfolds beautifully. You know, I mean, it's it, just like, for example, you um, having us like together on a podcast. It's like fantastic. I mean, it's just like because what's kind of cool, Hercules. Is You're that, very cool. Yeah. Of, I no, think wait, so. wait, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. This is just one of the little examples of how everything unfolds. So, Kat, like, if you just say it, it happens. So, Kathy and I, yeah. before you, before she met you at the Stigma Free and before you even mentioned podcasts, Kathy and I were together one day and said, you know what? We should start a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, how do we do that? I don't really know. And blah, 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 blah. And then the next thing you know, you're inviting me to do a podcast. Yeah, I believe in and, synchronicity and, you, and serendipity. I, I, I'm firm believers in those things. My my life is full of them, and it unfolds in that way. Absolutely. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe there's so many examples of it. It just, um, it, it, but 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 what's really incredible is this this organization, this uh, alumni and recovery organization. It just seems to happen all the time, and um, and, and it's just such a great feeling, you know. Yes, and it's a great feeling to spread around also because uh, I know my involvement on Minimal, uh, again, has been very uh, profound and, uh, um, you know, I've become very committed to your cause. So uh, uh, I can feel the vibes and the energy and uh, uh, your dedication is uh, not in question at all. You're, you're into this. It's your passion, your purpose, your mission, and you're moving forward, and the universe is accommodating you. So that is a great thing. Yeah. Where do you, where do you after we get a vaccination, I mean, a vaccine and all, and, that you know, everything kind of, we're allowed to have presentations indoors and things again, you, you're going to be part of the community-based event. I mean, that's going to happen in Tenafly. I just have no doubt. It'll be great. You're going to love it. Yeah, as you know, I'm uh, the champion of the Tenafly Mayor's Wellness Campaign. So um, you guys are part of that. So, again, feel free to let people know about it there. That group's been growing, too. I started it, I think, a couple of weeks ago and worried up to 35 people, including some businesses that have uh, 
uh, said that they're going to help Tenafly get healthy and uh, uh, some people outside of Tenafly, like far outside of Tenafly in some cases, uh, who have been like uh, offering like free courses or copies of their book or, uh, you know, authors of self-help books coming on and sharing uh, their uh, life success uh, secrets, you know, how to be happier, how to be more thoughtful, how to be more productive, um, how to be more loving. Uh, so that, too, I, I know exactly what you mean. When things are meant to be, they, they unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, wow. I, I'm sure your dreams for the future, and I know I've asked uh, both of you uh, this individually when you're on, uh, but there's a synergy going on between you, so maybe we'll get a a, a grander, like an even grander answer. Uh, I'm sure the possibilities, uh, um, you know, come your way very often. Like the book idea just that came your way. Now that's something that uh, is going to take root and grow. Are there any other things that you foresee or want to happen that uh, um, you're dreaming into existence? Yep. Yeah, I, I have a dream. I'll, I'll put mine. I, uh, I foresee, like right now we're doing a full concert. Uh, and, and like I said, I really, really hope that the 12th takes place. It'll be great. And then I want to do one in the spring. And then sooner or later I want to, I'm, I'm constantly want to pull together other, like, other parts of, you know, the country, other parts uh you know, other communities. Um, I want to keep connecting, but I foresee someday us having a concert, like kind of like a live aid concert around overdose awareness and the opioid epidemic. I really think that that would be like fantastic. And I'd love, yeah. I'd love us. To, I just think that we can have something like that in New Jersey. You know, I, I think that we could just start there and have a lot of different organizations and, and some, some good musicians. Of course, you know, I'm bringing in Bruce Springsteen. Uh, we've got Melissa Etheridge involved. No, I mean, just saying, this is my head. This is my, well, you know, but Melissa Etheridge. It's a dream. Yeah, it's a dream. It's a dream, but I, 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 I really would like to see that happen. Kathy? Agreed. I totally agree <laughs> with that dream. I love it. I want to. I want to see Melissa Etheridge. <laughs> um, well, I think we that it's a very doable dream. I think so too. We had one of our uh, council people um, on Jeff Grossman uh, recently on the uh, Mayor's uh, Wellness Campaign Show, and he had said that people yeah. in Tenafly are dreaming about having a big uh, concert, and uh, uh, that too is a dream. So who knows? Maybe. Uh, um, if the conversations and the dreams converge, uh, it might happen right. here in Tenafly, you know, but that was a conversation that came up as he was describing the, um, the summer music uh, concert series that they do in Tenafly every Ooh. year. Uh, he's on the committee and now they Ooh, have I music committees. So they've been aiming higher. And some people there were mentioning very big name musicians too and dreaming in that direction. So here's an opportunity to blend dreams. I will definitely tell uh, Jeff that you're having similar dreams <laughs> and hopefully that will lead to a conversation. No, I think that would great be amazing. Wouldn't it be nice if he would, like maybe the, the summer concert series would allow one night to be dedicated to, you know, a drug and alcohol um, awareness? 
you know, and, and, you know, I mean, of course, alumni and recovery, you know, would be, you know, there and, Uh but but seriously, that's what, because alumni and recovery is a a community based, you know, we, we, we are local, we are local people, you know, you Mm -hmm. know, so, so that's, but, um, but yeah, I think that's great. I love that idea. Thank you for it. You see, you came up with two great ideas for us already. <laughs> well, you're inspiring to talk to, and I, I love creative people who are dedicated. And uh, in Greek, enthusiasmos, which is where we get the word enthusiasm uh, from, uh-huh. it, it means literally possession by the divine. That you're filled with, uh, uh-huh. you know, the divine spark, and you're acting, you know, uh-huh. creatively and divinely in the world. So I, that's my favorite uh, thing to experience with people. And uh, of course, uh, you guys are a fountain of enthusiasm. So it's great. Uh, you know, and it's something because, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction is a disease of isolation, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and to, for people like me, uh, you know, I get everybody, you know, everybody gets sparked when we come into <laughs> you know, uh, into contact with another person and we both can, we just can just, I get out of myself. I can be of mm-hmm. service to that. And it makes me inspired. Inspi- you're inspiring me right now. Kathy inspires me every time I talk to her. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. <laughs> yeah. That's very clear with both of you guys interacting, uh, whether in person or here on the uh, um, radio. It, it, that's very, very apparent. Hey, Hercules, you know what's great? But, you know, because of the COVID time that's going on right now, um, our young people that speak, they just don't have an opportunity to speak. If you ever want any of them to come on and, and talk, it would be a great op- opportunity for them to be able to, you know, give back to the community in that way. And, uh, you know, just something to think about. That that would be awesome. I would just need to check uh, in terms of, you know, because they're minors, what the legalities are, no, no, whether I need no. permission slips and things, things no. like that. No, they're not minors. Are they're all yeah. Oh, they're over. All, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. They. Um. Yeah. We don't have any minors uh, as part of our alumni and recovery. Um. You know, like speaking program because mm-hmm. we we one time explored that when we had people younger than eighteen, and the thing is, is that you know we go into schools to talk to kids, but they're supposed to be in school, so it's kind of hard. You know, it's it's really yeah. not. It's alumni in recovery, meaning that they graduated and they're out of school. You know, they're older, but not too much older. They're like in their early 20s and uh, up to 35. Well, you guys are going to have a show regularly, and uh, you can do with that show anything you like. Uh, I trust you. You know, you're awesome people with an awesome mission. Uh, And so if you'd like to structure that into your show, that would be fantastic. It would be something different. Uh, And uh, um, everything that you've shared so far has been very powerful and very effective. So I have no doubt that would be as well. Great. Thank you. I agree. That would be amazing. On other shows too. Okay, so we have a plan in place, and now we we date and uh, and move uh, um, forward. Um, Now, 
in terms of the organization, you said that it uh, was growing and it has, uh, you know, many more uh, people. Uh, right now, you're in the, um, I, I guess, the the early prophetic barbarian stages of uh, an organization. Organizations go through various uh, uh, stages that match very closely with uh, how societies uh, evolve. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, eventually like more administrative uh, type of, you know, there's building and exploring and then there's administrative, you know, and, uh, and, and, and so on. Um, is, is it your intent to keep your organization fluid uh, and kind of like uh, in that inspired um, fluid stage where you are now, or are you planning on building and you know, expanding in a more structured way? Well, we already are expanding it in a more structured way. Okay. Um, we, like just for example, I told you we have a director of student-based programs. You know, it used to be me, you know, uh, and uh, Shayla Heslin is um, that person now. And she uh, was a member, um, and she she's a young person. You know, she's younger. She's like uh, her late 20s. And, uh, but, you know, she was our administrative assistant last year. And uh, she has, you know, become the director now. And so, so there's, a, there's a position. We have somebody in charge of social media. I was, like, managing that. She's a volunteer. But the only paid, you know, but we, but growing, as we go forward, because we have a board as well, um, as we go forward, I really, you know, we have been really kind of trying to focus on fundraising uh, and, and getting some funds so we can create um, some structured positions, which will need pay. And because it, it's, um, it's fluid as it is, um, as, we get, as we get larger, we have to create the structure. So I'm sure. I, and it, yeah. I, 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 I love this program, and um, I want to see it continue to get an opportunity to grow like that. And uh, so, so that's why, you know, I'm really not like a bit, I'm business wise. I love just giving things away. You know, it's like, here, take this, you know, you know, you need that. That's fine. I mean, and you know, I really, I'm not good at saying this is the price. Here you go. It's like, you know, I want to discount it, whatever. But the thing is, is that I'm learning that I have to ask for money from people. <laughs> Right. And I, you guys, you guys are on Facebook's uh, charity list. I, I know I put a button uh, um, on the announcement for today's uh, show. Are you guys also like on Thank Amazon you. Smile and on GoFundMe? Yes. And, yeah, and that? Okay, great. Send me the information included. Every time you have a show, I'll put okay. the information up. Cool. Yeah, it's awesome. uh, smile.amazon.com. You can just sign up, go there, and they ask what you want to, you know, organization. It's alumni in recovery. Right in there. Awesome. Um, any last thoughts as we wrap up today that you'd like to leave uh, with our audience? Kathy, you want to start? I have to think about this now. Uh, you know what? Um, I guess my last thoughts would be uh, just to, you know, whoever's listening to this to continue to listen and continue to uh Spread the word, and if you know whoever's out there, somebody else to listen, so that we educate more people. Uh, show up and be present, and and help, and come to a black poster event. Please come to a black poster event. It's 
it's something that you'll never forget in your lifetime. Um, and I, I wanted to say thank you to you, Hercules, because you have been a godsend. And I do believe, like you said, in there are no coincidences. We say that a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I truly believe that there isn't. I believe that you came across our path and look where we've journeyed into. So I, you know, I'm just grateful and I'm thankful and I want to, you know, alumni and recovery has to continue down this journey of helping the youth and even older and all of us um, with awareness on addiction and opioids. And, um, you know, all I can say is, you know, it's a gift. The program is a gift and, and I want more people to donate and come and show up and be of service. And that's my final blop. <laughs> well, I, I can, so. I can, what's that? I said, may it be so, may it indeed be so. Uh, Nancy? Yes. Okay. So I was going to just add to what Kathy said as far as the black, because I was going to say that, that I really hope that people show up for that because it's going to be for the continuing throughout the month of September and maybe a little into October. And it's quite possible it'll be presented in churches as it gets colder. Some churches would, because it's been able to be presented in a church. It's very beautiful in the churches, but um, you know, just go to our Facebook page to look at the schedule. It's right there. And um, we always keep it updated. It's a weather permitting thing. If it's outside, but um, it's, it's, it's so important to see this. Um, and then I just wanted to add that, you know, last year, and I know I say this every time anybody ever talks to me, 71,199 people in the United States died of an overdose mm. last year. In and, you know, the year before that was 63,000. The year before that, uh, well, 2017 was 72,000. I mean, it's just those numbers are there. So here's the Mm -hmm. thing. This is a national emergency. You know, this is an epidemic on our hands. And if this this was a hurricane, people would be getting water bottles off the shelves. There would be nothing left in the store. Everybody would be preparing. Well, we need to prepare, you know, and and, and this is how we prepare, okay? Mm -hmm. Just everything Kathy said. That's it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Amen. That's a powerful place to end the show, and uh, it's a powerful thing for people to uh, think about and contemplate. Um, one more time, if you could share your contact information. Info at alumniinrecovery.org. Or you can Facebook page, which is Alumni in Recovery, or our website, which is www.alumniinrecovery.org. Thanks again. You're both incredibly awesome and you're doing great work in the world. It's a great honor uh, to have you on the show. And I'm really excited about uh, the alumni and recovery uh, show that will be coming out uh, in September, which is days away. Um, Thanks to all who've listened to us either live or later on on demand. Until next time, this is all of us wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Thanks again, ladies. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thank you, too.
Bell. 